At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today, White House advisor Larry Kudlow. You're not troubled by any of it, just so we're clear. There is nothing the president has done with respect to that phone call. The administration's top voice on the economy weighs in on the impeachment inquiry. Ariana Huffington. Take 60 seconds before you go to your phone. 60 seconds, Joe, are you listening? Don't have time. She used to carry around four smartphones. Now she's all about the unplug. Plus, Joe, Becky, and Andrew binge on Netflix's quarterly earnings and a bit more. Everybody's taking bold swings. These shows are crazy. Those stories and more. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Thursday, October 17th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The EU and the UK saying they have reached a draft Brexit deal. Obviously, much more to come on this. But Willem Marx is standing by. He's got more on the situation right now. Willem, what can you tell us? The executive branch, Becky, of the European Union, the European Commission, they have agreed with the UK that they would like to see this move forward. In about an hour's time, we'll have European leaders arriving here inside what's known as the EU Council for their relatively regular meeting. Brexit, top of the agenda. Boris Johnson likely to talk to them, to make his pitch, to say, we now have an agreement. Please, can you endorse it? And if those 27 other heads of state say they're happy with it, they will move on. And potentially we could see the British Parliament voting on it as soon as Saturday. The challenge there remains, though, for Prime Minister Boris Johnson. He doesn't have a clear majority. So if this small Northern Irish party that's so often proven to be a thorn in a Prime Minister's side decide, as they've said again this morning, they're not happy with the the way the deal has turned out, we could see that majority vanish. And once again, without a parliamentary approval in Westminster for any agreement, it's going to be incredibly challenging for this process to end by October 31st, which right now is the current deadline. Willem, again, Junker, as you mentioned, in support of this, he's saying that he's going to recommend that the 27 EU nations actually endorse that deal during the summit later today. Boris Johnson making some positive tweets about this, too, saying it's a great new deal. But you're right to bring up this concern that he doesn't necessarily have the votes in Parliament just yet. When do you think we'll have a better idea of this? How quickly can this vote counting take place? So the challenge is, over the next 48 hours, while you've got this meeting going on here in Brussels, is that the (coughs) Prime Minister's team back in Downing Street and in Westminster will be trying to see whether they can guarantee not only all of the votes inside their Conservative Party, not only 21 further votes from former Conservative Party members that they kicked out last month, also this 10 subset of the DUP, this Northern Irish Party, and then potentially they'd also need some of the Labour Opposition Party members to vote in favour of the deal. Some of them telling me, though, they would only do that if approval of this deal was attached to a second confirmatory referendum, whereby essentially you'd see a second referendum pitching this deal 
against another option, which would be to remain inside the EU. That could drag on for many more months, and so Boris Johnson's insistence he would leave October 31st might again be challenged on that front. What would the EU's response be if, if there was such a movement passed in Parliament to, demanding a second referendum? Unclear in terms of what would be the timeline around that. They've often said, many of the European leaders, Becky, they'd, like, they'd like to see yeah. the UK stay inside the European Union. So if a referendum delivered that, that might be something that would be music to Emmanuel Macron's ears, for instance, the French president. In terms of what happens this Saturday in Parliament, the legislation that already exists means that if a deal wasn't concluded by today that Parliament was happy with, then they would force the Prime Minister to ask for an extension till late January. We could see another four-month delay to this Brexit process. He might turn around and say to the European counterparts here, the other leaders, can we make it a bit shorter? I think we're there, almost there. Give me another few weeks. Let's see if we can get the technical details sorted out, and I'll try and get my parliament back on side. Philem, thank you very much. Netflix earnings beat the street. International subscriber growth beat expectations, but... Uh, the stats weren't all positive. Domestic subscriber additions were 35% below estimates. And it warned that current quarter earnings, uh, revenue, and subscriber growth would all fall short uh, of analyst estimates, citing pricing changes and increased competition. Disney, Apple, and CNBC parent company NBC Universal are all launching their own streaming services. And Netflix CEO Reed Hastings says the streaming wars are noisy and could create modest headwinds uh, but the company has spent a decade competing uh, with other content providers. And Netflix uh, says it's going to take bold swings, in their words, when it comes to content. Good. We like that. Uh, but won't take every deal. The company is still the leader when it comes to content spending uh, and is projected to spend about $18 billion in 2020. I mean, I, everybody's taking bold swings. These shows are crazy, some of them uh, that Big you watch. Budgets. It just makes me... I'm back to thinking, you know, the writer's really are the unsung heroes. And I, I, I'm, it boggles the mind, some of the stuff that they come up to, plot twists and everything. That, uh, it's amazing. Just when it? you thought you were not able to be surprised by anything anymore. Right. You could never be stunned. I thought, like, um, like Wild Wild West was really good. I don't, you don't Back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Which one was Robert that? Conrad was and oh. Artemis Gordon. Yeah. And, and I watch it now, and it's like, Man, this is when you like, say Wild West, I'm thinking, wasn't there a Will, Will Smith, Smith version? That's the same one I was oh, that, thinking okay, of. Okay, late, right? Yeah. That's the, that was the movie the, the based remake. on yeah. on the, uh, yeah, but I thought, we're, I mean, we're still they used aging to, ourselves by saying They had that, you but. hanging every time they, but they, they, they would basically write the show around commercial breaks, and they would like, you know, you'd New see, boundaries these days. yeah, you'd see Robert Conrad, something would be happening, and then it'd actually turn into a painting, an Old West type painting, and then he'd come back and everything would be fine. But Batman. now now they have it where when they're doing it for Netflix, they have these massive cliffhangers at the end so that you just allow the next one right, to stream to straight going. on to keep you True. going so that you watch that. It starts 50 in like six episodes. Seconds. Right. A different way to do it. Skip you have intro. to turn it off if you don't want to right. do it, right? Capitalism in crisis. Again, on the podcast, we do this a lot. America's economic system was challenged yesterday by a key voice in Silicon Valley, Mark Benioff, the billionaire co-founder of Salesforce. Capitalism is dead. We need a new capitalism. We need a new sustainable, fair, more equitable capitalism. We need a capitalism that values not just shareholders, but as important stakeholders. That was Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff on CNBC yesterday. Joining us right now is Bob Davis. He's a partner at Highland Capital. 
You think capitalism is dead, sir? I think capitalism has a little ways to go. I might, I might, that mean? I might count on it for a little bit longer. Well, what does capitalism mean but, uh, unto itself? I think it speaks to free markets and the ability to make informed and conscious decisions about where you're going. And the markets speak for itself. It's an open supply. It's an open demand. And uh, a, a price is settled in on where... Okay, so what are, if, if you're right, then what do we do about all these polls that suggest that millennials, especially, um, and I think even maybe broadly, broader than that, believe that capitalism doesn't work anymore. Well, uh, I'm not sure... We're seeing it in debates. We're seeing it... it, It's it's a constant refrain. So if you're right, what what do you think has to change? Yeah, I'm not sure they believe it doesn't work as much as they like to say it doesn't work. In fact, if you ask some of the millennials, I'm not sure they'll define what capitalism is before they say it doesn't work. But I think the concern that you're finding out of most of these things is that companies are getting uh, immense power, and that's where the concern comes out of. So they're saying not that it doesn't work as an institution, but it's threatening to them as an institution. And so... When, when, when Mark Banioff says that today um, profits are the table stakes, right? right? He actually makes a slightly different argument, by the way, guys, than the business roundtable. He basically says you have to do the profits part. That, that is like the table stakes piece. These other constituent parts um, are necessary, but that's like a secondary layer so it helps, to, to it the profits piece. Bu- it helps to <laughs> stay in business and keep paying your employees? Before you That's can do part the of it. Stuff. I mean, it becomes a circular argument. He's no, saying you, know you don't I mean. do those other things. Before but you can do any good, you need to make sure you can stay open. You got to stay open, and we've talked Pay about it. The there have been CEOs and... today. Um, you know, I'm thinking of the CEO of eBay, who, you know, actually was was nailing it a lot on the purpose element and some of the the other constituent parts, but wasn't nailing um, some of the and now he's gone the profit numbers, and he's gone. Yeah. And so, how are shareholders? I mean. Yeah, clearly, at some point, profits are essential. The, the world that I'm in, rarely, I mean, rarely, if ever, are we backing a company that's profitable from the get-go. Always, the company is driving to its profitability. But my, my businesses are so young, and they're getting off the ground. It's just not realistic to Do think. Do you ever they can listen to any of them thinking they have a purpose? Does that play into anything? Yeah, that, that plays. That, that, that purpose, mission-driven businesses are, are huge. That's a big part of what we think about. So, somebody that looks at, they think they're changing the world. We have a company here in New York called Freshly that will sell probably forty or fifty million meals this year to consumer. I mean, he thinks he's feeding America. He's changing eating habits. He, he's giving convenient, good-tasting food. He is a mission-driven guy, I mean, all the way. And, and that's powerful because it wraps around not only the management team and the company, but consumers buy into that in a meaningful way, too. I wouldn't be taking a lot of advice on, on too many life subjects from millennial polls. Bob, we got to leave the conversation there. Thank you. Good to see you. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, White House advisor Larry Kudlow defends the president and the economy here at home. I think the domestic economy is in very good shape. We're not immune, Joe, but I think we are still the international driver. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Larry Kudlow, the National Economic Council director and our former CNBC colleague, joined Squawk Box this morning to discuss the health of the economy, the mysteries of the deep state, and the questions around a certain letter between presidents. 
Here's Joe Kernan starting off today's interview. Been a while, uh, Mr. Kudlow. Uh, it is uh, great to have you on uh, this morning. I'm going to start with like a philosophical question, Larry. You've been there uh, a, a while. Are, I don't know if you were ever what I uh, refer to as a globalist, but at this <laughs> point, do, do we have a domestic economy that can continue to outperform? And we have for years, admittedly, but it seems more... Uh, more important and more uh, more true now than maybe in the past that we really need to look at what's happening specifically in our country more than being bogged down by by a global uh, slowdown. Is is it more true now than before? Do you think? Uh, I think you're asking me: Is the domestic economy strong enough to withhold uh, the global downturn? Joe? Yes. If that's yes. Well, the the answer is yes, and I'll back that up in a minute. But I'm not a purist on this. You know, international trade is very substantial. So we've had some headwinds, particularly in the past year. Uh, The economy is a little softer uh, in the second and third quarters. And a lot of that comes out of Europe. By the way, a lot of the European slowdown is centered in Germany. We can't send, we can't export our manufactured goods because Germany is doing so badly So that's an issue. Brexit, a smaller issue, Joe. Uh, Major China slowdown. I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Latin America slow. On the other hand, on the other hand, uh, I will defend what's going on in the domestic economy because despite a very severe Fed tightening last year, maybe we're coming out of that now, nonetheless, lower taxes and deregulation and opening up energy we're still plugging along. You know, there's a statistic, um, my pal Steve Moore in the journal, in two and a half years, uh, the Trump economy, people are getting about $5,000, $5,000. This is median income, Joe. Ordinary folks, $60,000, $65,000 a year, married, filing jointly. $5,000 from better labor conditions, huge jobs and income, and another $2,500 on tax cuts. That's a huge gain. The prior administrations, uh, both Democrat and Republican, have nothing compared to that. Our friend Steve Leisman, uh, and, and he's, you know, he has different ways of, of, of gauging things, and maybe through some tea leaves, thinks that it's possible the Fed could be thinking about a pause in, in the rate cuts. You're saying that they're finally doing the right thing, and I assume that you mean that they're going to continue uh, cutting. Uh, do you think that there's a possibility the Fed could be considering a pause because of seeing strength, or, or, and would that be a, a negative, in your view, for, uh, for the economy and for the markets? Well, you know, I look at the money market indicators, and I look at the yield curve indicators, so here's good news. The yield curve, at the, let's see, tens versus bills, tens versus twos, has now finally moved back into a normal position. So it's right size. Long rates are now above short rates. Not by a lot, but by some. That's a good sign. Um, I think money market futures, Fed fund futures, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, they're all predicting another 25 basis points at the Fed meeting, a reduction at the Fed meeting. Uh, I concur with that. I think that's wise. Uh, Jim Bullard of the St. Louis Fed, I think, who won 50 at the last meeting, I'm sure he will be pushing for 25, maybe 50 again this time. And they're moving in the right direction. Their balance sheet is starting to expand a little bit. 
I, I, I don't want to get into a lot of Fed bashing. They do the best they can. Their models are highly flawed. The deep state board staff, of course, has not been helpful. Oops, did I say that? But the fact is, the Fed is moving us in the right direction. So, yeah, we're going to see some lower rates. And by the way, that's a global phenomenon, Joe, right? Lower rates all across the world uh, may be saving the rest of the world from a recession. If you look at the timing, it's sort of interesting. So we took some hits in 2019. Economy was softer. A lot of that goes back to severe Fed tightening and some other issues. I get that. Hey, Larry, like now, now it looks like the housing sector is leading us back up. That's a pretty good you ever seen indicator. It in, a, in a trial where one side will bring up something that the prosecution wants them to bring up, you brought up deep state. How do you view the, this, this whole Ukraine uh, impeachment uh, push? Larry, is that a deep state move, or, or is there something that the average American should be worried about in terms of the phone call and, and what, what, uh, what's going on with, uh, with impeachment? Well, I don't think the average American's in the deep state, so that's the really good news out there in America. Um, Look, I don't want to spend a lot of time on, on, on this impeachment business. I'll just say this, Joe. I read the transcript of that phone call between Ukraine President Zelensky and U.S. President Trump. I read it, I don't know, 15 times. I first saw it at the U.N. I, I don't see anything remotely that would constitute some kind of impeachable offense. Look, it was a you know, it was a congratulatory call. Uh, corruption came up. Zelensky, who we met at the U.N., we had a great bilateral with him, is a very bright young man. He said corruption is a big issue. I think President Trump was saying, why don't you help clean up the last, you know, 2016, 2015, 2014. I don't think President was aiming at 2020. And I, I just I, w- I want to make this point. For three years or so, President Trump has said Europe must help the United States with respect to NATO and other related military assistance. And so what the president was doing, and it's clear in that transcript, is he's saying, I want to go back, protect taxpayers, and then let's see if we can get your assistance going, which ultimately is what happened. It was completely transparent. We released the transcript. We released the highly flawed hearsay impeachment complaint. We released that transcript. Larry, then, then, then explain, no explain the role of Rudy Giuliani. No and then, then explain the role of Rudy Giuliani and his two associates now who've been indicted. I don't want to explain that. Uh, I guess that's Andrew asking that question, my friend Andrew from the Upper West Side. It's good to see you, my friend. And I I don't want to explain it. I'm not not acquainted with all of these machinations. It's out of my lane and probably above my Larry, let me ask you a different question, though. All I'm saying is, hang on, all I'm saying is when we released the transcript, we were transparent. We released the um, whistleblower complaint, which was really third and fourth hand hearsay. We were transparent. There was never any quid pro quo. The president never linked the two. His concerns about assistance was why doesn't Europe pay its fair share of cost share burden? And President Zelensky, again, we spent a lot of time with him at the U.N. He's a very bright fellow. He said 
There was never any okay. pressure. Larry, so, I'm trying to be I, polite by letting you, by letting you provide a full, fulsome I, answer, but there are obviously I'm, people I'm, who have a different view I than you do on this issue. I understand that. I'm just giving you my point of view. I don't see anything remotely close to an impeachable offense. That's and all you're I'm not saying. troubled by any of it, just so we're clear. Any of what? There is nothing about what the president has either done or his associates in relation to the Ukraine that you are troubled by in any way whatsoever. There is nothing the president has done with respect to that okay. phone call and related matters. The I associates, you can go to the second and third and fourth and fifth rings of Saturn, Andrew, and I'm not acquainted with okay. it. I don't follow but it. Let me ask it's you a separate question because I think a lot of people, since, since you do know the, to deal with the economy. Since you do know the president, though, so very well, there yeah. were a lot of people uh, that saw that letter that the president wrote on White House stationery yesterday to President Erdogan of Turkey and couldn't believe their eyes. They couldn't believe what was being said. Is that, was that normal to you? I'm not, I'm not sure what specifically you're referring to. There was a letter. It was a colloquial type letter where he a, said, a make a deal or else, yeah, or else you're, go it was in if very plain spoken guy, language. I'll call yeah, you later. You're, well, look. I think I, you know the letter that I'm referring to. I, yes, I'm aware of the letter. Okay. Look, that's uh, Mike Pompeo's turf. It's not my turf. Okay. I, I, I believe in conversations with the president, he is trying to warn Turkey not to cause trouble. Right. In Syria and with respect to the Syrian Kurds. Yeah, I, and other I, I appreciate that. But the, 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 and, the threats and, and the language and the type of approach that he that he I mean, people looked at that letter initially and thought it was a fake letter. Well, not everyone. Uh, I mean, I think a lot well, of people. OK, did. Well, well, now you're speak, speaking. Yeah, I, mean, I will speak. I will speak for what I imagine. The, actually the see, I, if we're still in the trial, there'd be an objection and, and that, I'd probably be sustained. Yeah, that, there would be an objection. Thank uh, you, Joe. Uh, uh, look, Secretary Mnuchin made it very clear over the weekend uh, we will use sanctions, right, uh, and we may use more sanctions to keep Turkey in line. Look, okay, we, can we, we, we just get, look, here's a point, fellas. I know we don't have all day. We're seeing a lot of the headwinds that held down the economy this year may wind up right. opening the door to next year. Next on Squawk Pod, stress. It could be preventable. Ariana Huffington says take a deep breath and wait 60 seconds before looking at your phone. If you don't have one minute, you don't have a life. Pretty much. You got it. We'll be right back. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. This is Squawk Pod. Anchors on today's broadcast are Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Our guest host, Mohammed Al Arian, Chief Economic Advisor at Allianz. We got Mohammed here. 
uh, too. And I think he knows the queen, I think, because you're running her college or something. Are, are you not? Is that... Uh... She's the patr- patroness of the college, yeah. Our next guest, Ariana Huffington, founder of the eponymous Huffington Post, past Uber board member and master of personal reinvention. She's had a long journey in American business, most recently founding and leading Thrive Global, a company focused on health and human behavior, or rather, healthy human behavior. Talk about reinvention. This is a woman who once made headlines for carrying around four BlackBerry phones at a time. On Wednesday, Thrive Global announced the acquisition of Boundless Mind, a startup that uses neuroscience in code that inspires change in app user behavior. You heard that correctly. Workaholic turned health entrepreneur lauds unplugging as the key to success and buys software that manipulates when, where, and how long we engage with the computers in our pockets. That's where we'll start the conversation here on the pod. Here's Andrew. Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global focuses on using behavior change technology and programs to improve your well-being. Now they've added another tool to their toolkit by acquiring Boundless Mind. It's an AI company whose algorithms are used to get people to walk more, finish to-do lists, and increase engagement with diet and exercise apps. And Ariana joins us this morning, of course, the CEO and founder of Thrive Global. Good to see you. Great you know I love you. all of these, these technologies and things that nudge you to do the right thing. So tell us, tell us about Boundless and what it is. So Boundless is a neuroscience-based AI company right. that actually uses all the data feedback loops to feed you better and better micro-steps to improve your behavior. The whole point is that the way that we thought we could change behavior is through New Year resolutions, and that doesn't work. So Thrive has come up with what we call micro-steps too small to fail. The title of your next book. Give me me an example. So uh, one example is how you start your day. Take 60 seconds before you go to your phone. 60 seconds, Joe, are you listening? I don't have time. 60 seconds. If, If you don't have one minute, you don't have a life. To set your intention for the day. You got it. Yeah. To remember what you're grateful for. To do something that gets your mind in the right frame to start the day. Are you telling me to do this or is Boundless going to tell me to do this? Well, we're going to feed you that micro step if we think that you're going to respond to it. We know Joe is not going to respond to it. So no, we're going to feed him a different micro step. We're going to feed him maybe a micro step to go fly fishing or to play a round of golf or something that will help him disconnect from Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity <laughs> and right. all the well, things that he watches that drive his stress level yeah, up. Yes. No, honest, no honest, my first 60 seconds, I, I For him I wake watching up. those shows are relaxing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, uh, in the echo chamber, just come, come. No, uh, <laughs> the first 60 seconds that I wake up, I have to remember what I'm anxious about. No, that's I have to exactly refocus everything okay. that I'm anxious about that day. Don't you, that's, Andrew? To but you know, Joe, you, 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 that usually happens in the first sixty seconds when I see you. When you see me, and I. No. But that's precisely what we need to change. And what's happening right now is that ninety percent of healthcare costs and healthcare problems are stress-related, lifestyle-related, and preventable. If we don't change that, this whole conversation around access and healthcare financing. It's like at the margin. we got to change why so many you, people are sick. How do you use AI to know what's going to work for Joe, what's going to work for me, what's going to work for Andrew, for, Andrew, for Muhammad? How do you... How well, do you that's that? exactly how AI is now used largely for bad, right, to hook us to unhealthy behavior. To look at Instagram again. To look at Instagram again, to play Fortnite all night. So we want to use, and that's what Boundless does, the same techniques 
that hook us to unhealthy behaviors to hook us to healthy behaviors. It sounds like a paradox, but the bottom line is that we need the power of AI to know exactly how to personalize the micro steps we're going to give you. And is this going to be sold as a service to consumers? Is this, is this part of the B2B operation? B2B, This yes. B2B. So you're working it's, with companies around the world. Exactly. And, and the idea is that you're going to sell, offer this to them as a service. As a service. We already offer them workshops, 90-minute digital programs on mental health or performance, but this product is going to make everything else we do sustainable and scalable around the world. And also redefine wellness, because right now wellness, which is a $4 trillion industry, has a little bit of a warm and fuzzy feeling about it, and we want to make it very science-driven and data-driven. Can I just ask you a question about your business model? Because I find it interesting that you decided to focus on the enterprise customer. Mm -hmm. You are really an enterprise business. It's not, I mean, there is a consumer play part of it, but I feel like the the engine of the company is an enterprise business. Entirely. But that's a flip, that's almost the antithesis for a lot of companies that go into this health issue and space that you're in. They think of it as a consumer play. Right, but a lot of them are now changing. Like, look at Headspace, the meditation app. It's now focusing much more on the enterprise. What happens is that if you focus on the consumer, A, you have very high marketing costs and right. customer acquisition costs, and also the churn is much higher. While if you go through the enterprise, you have many ways to engage the user. We have to actually, in the interest of full disclosure, we have to tell you that Mohammed is an investor in Thrive. An initial investor. How many yes, years ago? Yes, actually, early on, three years ago. And by, by the way, coincidence, he didn't know you were coming No, on. I know. <laughs> we booked the other way around. So let me explain, you know, why this makes total sense. And I, and I didn't know she was coming on. Um, and I didn't know about this acquisition until yesterday. If you're running a business, you know this is a problem, right? You look around, your people are stressed. It lowers productivity. You are aware that this is an issue. And if you can go from awareness to slow nudging to behavior modification, you get better productivity. Yes. And that's, that's, that's the hypothesis. Uh, before we let you go, you wrote a piece on Thrive Global about Bernie Sanders yes. and Bernie Sanders' health. Um, are you supportive of Bernie Sanders as a, as a business leader yourself right now? Right now, all that I'm saying is that Bernie Sanders had an opportunity to use his heart attack that made him one of the 790,000 people in America with a heart attack a year as a teachable moment to educate people about the power we have to prevent heart attacks. You know, about the stress in our lives, what we eat. You showed a picture at the beginning of what people are eating, the lack of sleep, the lack of movement. All these are conditions that if they are not intervened with, we lead to Heart disease. But if it's him or Trump, and I know your feelings about the president, is it him for you? It's not going to be him. (laughs) This is my prediction on CNBC. Ariana Huffington, thank you. Thank you. That's the show for today. On our rundown tomorrow, guest host Barry Sternlich. He's a CEO, real estate investor, an eco-hotel entrepreneur. He's got one in Brooklyn that has a great view of the bridge and a big voice in business. We'll deliver the highlights right here on the pod. 
Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. You know it's hard if you have a universal remote and you're on Amazon or something like that. The buttons don't really work. I have to go all the way out. Can you help me with that? I'm supposed to help Becky with her phone, I think. You are in demand, uh, technically. My mother still calls Jerry's for still technical out. support. Jerry's still out. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.